0: So Ephesians chapter 5, we are in chapter 5, the blueprint for Christian conduct. How are you behaving out there? How are you conducting yourself? Uh-oh, I just hear murmuring. I know, maybe we should warm up this morning. But Paul gives us this blueprint here, and remember when we started this series, we talked about Francis Schaeffer, who's a Christian philosopher and theologian. He wrote a book, uh, How Should We Then Live? And that's a great question. We come to Christ. We forsake our sins, we repent, we become born again, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now what? Well, the Bible gives us a blueprint for living, amen? Everything in here from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, reveals Christ and shows us how to live. Paul really zeroes in in chapter 5 here, gives us so many treasures of how to conduct ourselves. Our conduct matters because the world looks at the Christian to determine what they think about Christ. There are people who don't know Jesus Who will only judge Jesus by how people who call themselves Christians conduct themselves. Are you getting it now? So the way we behave is important. And the world is looking to us to see Jesus. The blueprint gives us principles to apply to our lives. Because we're children of the light, yet we're walking in a dark world. Last week we said it's not easy to live a righteous life in a dark world, is it? Come on, there's many distractions out there. There's many temptations out there. There's many things that look so good to us from the outside looking in. The smoke and mirrors of sin that draw us in. Sin will always take us further than we wanted to go. It'll cost us more than we wanted to pay. It always looks good in the beginning, but it turns out to be a traumatic thing for us. Because the Bible says the wages of sin are death. Now, as the blueprint continues here, the Holy Spirit calls our attention to three things we need to be careful about in the text i'm going to read you the text in just a minute here but it's interesting there's many times that the word tells us not to be careful not to be anxious but to be prayerful and thankful here is a spot where the scripture is telling us be careful how many realize there are things in life we need to be careful about there are things we need to be careful with if you pick up a, a $2 drinking glass, you're careful with it. But if you pick up a, a crystal glass that's worth $1,000, you'd you be even more careful with it, amen? Because the loss of breaking something precious is costly. Father, we thank you for the word this morning. We thank you for Ephesians 5. We thank you that you saved us and then gave us a blueprint of to live, Lord. You haven't just left us clueless, but you've given us everything we need to know to please you and to walk holy before you. I pray you bless the word this morning, that as we hear it, it would go into our minds, it would get to our hearts, and the Holy Spirit would teach us how to apply it to our daily living, that we could be more than just hearers, but doers of the word. I pray this in Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. I'm going to read from verse 1 of chapter 5, for context's sake. but Our target verses are 15 through 17. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God, a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists of goodness, righteousness, and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it's disgraceful even to speak of things which are done by them in secret, but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, awake sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Listen to our new material. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let's jump into those last three verses, 15 through 17, as the blueprint continues. The Holy Spirit's telling us to be careful through the Apostle Paul about uh, three specific things. And the first thing we need to be careful about is how we walk. How we walk is very important, and this is in a spiritual sense. The text uh, it says, be careful. If you look into the Greek rendering of that translation, what it's actually saying is take a careful look. So you could read the text, take a careful look how you walk. How many of us take the time to take a careful look how we're walking spiritually? See, it's something that we don't often do. We just go about our business, go about our day, go about our life. As life unfolds before us, we kind of just wing it a lot of times but the word saying, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. None of us want to be unwise. Am I correct in assuming that? Nobody woke up today and said, I want to make every unwise decision I can make. No, if you had the choice between wise and unwise, what would you pick? All right, a bunch of wise guys out there. And so wise is what we want to be. And he says, if you're going to be wise, you got to pay attention. You got to be careful how you walk. Now, Most people are not careful how they walk. And I'm talking about in life, and I'm talking about spiritually. Most people aren't even looking where they're going. Hello, have you seen this generation out there? They walk around. You watch people walk in the street. They're looking at their feet. They're looking at the sky. I've seen people walking like this. People drive like that. On a Taconic, someone's like, it's in front of you here. You ever see it? This whole generation walks like this. (laughs) I've seen people walk into fountains. I've seen people walk, walk. How many times you see someone in the city walk into traffic, someone has to grab them because the bus cuts the corner and, hey. Pay attention how you're walking. Pay attention where you're going. People are walking around and they're not being careful how they walk in the natural and in the spiritual realm. The world we live in is a dangerous place spiritually. What if I told you today that when you came in the sanctuary and you sat down, we now activated a minefield in the sanctuary, and when you walk out of here, you got to be careful where you walk. How many people would walk differently? We still have a few that would run out screaming. There's a couple in every crowd. But you'd be careful how you walk. You'd be careful where you put your foot. You'd be careful what you leaned your weight on to trust to support you. Amen? Well, let me just tell you this morning, the world we walk in is a minefield. And you got to be careful where you walk and who you walk with and what you put your weight on and what you put your trust in. Let's let that settle in for a second. When we get up in the morning and our feet hit the ground, the Holy Spirit wants us to be wise and not sloppy or reckless, but to be careful how we walk, the things we do, the things we say, the people we surround ourselves with. All of those things matter. So the question uh today that we've got to look is, what does Paul mean by walk? When Paul says walk, he's talking about our spiritual motion and direction. And the question becomes, is the spiritual motion and direction of my life going in the right way? Spiritual motion and direction. Is my life sloppy and reckless? Is my life careful and precise You see, the truth is most of us want to be careful and precise how we walk, but all of us are human and so we're a little bit sloppy and we're a little bit reckless too. Can I get an amen? The truth is none of us got it all together and walk perfectly all the time. So no matter how precise and careful we want to be, we're a little sloppy and we're a little reckless. The truth is we're a mix of those two things. You know, sometimes I say things that shock myself. You ever just, you say something and, wow, that made sense right? Sometimes you say something that's so smart, you're like, whoa. And then there's other times I try to get out of the car and my seatbelt's still on. Or I'm walking around looking for a phone that's in my hand. Where's my phone? Where's my phone? There's other times I punch myself in the face pulling the covers up. Anybody else? Come on, loosen up out there. You've done it. Don't don't. Amen. So like sometimes I feel like I got it together and sometimes I'm like, I'm a mess. I spend a lot of time alone studying the word. I spend a lot of time just me and the Holy Ghost laughing. Mostly at me. But we don't want to be sloppy. We don't want to be reckless. We want to be careful and precise. We're a balance of those two things, but we've got to turn the tide. And, and as we become mature, we should be more careful about the way we walk. What does a sloppy spiritual walk look like? It looks like this. A sloppy spiritual walk is one that gives no consideration to where it's headed. Do you realize we have multitudes of people out there this morning? They're not in these seats. They're not hearing the word. They have no spiritual input in their life. They have no direction. And they're just walking, and they haven't even considered to where their walk is headed. Many of us were like that when we were in the dark. We were just doing our thing, going about our business, going in whatever direction the wind blew. That's a sloppy spiritual walk. A sloppy spiritual walk goes with the flow, but do you realize where the flow is headed? A sloppy spiritual walk often goes in circles. Come on, you may have experienced this in your life over and over again, doing the same things. The same goofy things wrong, winding up in the same situation, swearing I'm never going to do that again, only to keep going around in circles. That's a sloppy spiritual walk. Sometimes we mess up and God says, take another lap around the mountain. Thank God for his grace that says you get another chance. But that's a sloppy spiritual walk. A sloppy spiritual walk produces fruit, but only by accident. It's not on purpose. It's just God's grace. What does a reckless spiritual walk look like? It's even worse than a sloppy one. A sloppy one usually has the the heart to do the right thing, but just not enough attention to detail. A reckless spiritual walk is one that purposely goes in the wrong direction. A reckless spiritual walk says, well, I know God says not to do that, but I'm going to do it. A reckless spiritual walk says, I know that's sin, but I enjoy it. So I'm going to just do what I want to do. That's recklessness. Please, Lord Jesus, let it be that we never forget that reckless spirituality puts our souls at risk. For eternity. There's a poem called The Clock of Life, and it says this The clock of life is wound but once, and no man has the power to tell just where the hands will stop at late or early hour. To lose one's wealth is sad indeed, to lose one's health is more, to lose one's soul is such a loss that no man can restore. You see, souls are at stake, lives are at stake. Sloppy spiritual living that goes into reckless spiritual living is a walk that doesn't end in a good place for eternity. Reckless spiritual walking goes off on tangents. It follows the whims of the world and the flesh. Reckless spiritual walking often comes to a screeching halt because of laziness or disobedience, but it is not a walk that leads us to God. So you and I woke up wise this morning. And we don't want to be sloppy and we don't want to be reckless. So what does a careful spiritual walk look like? A careful spiritual walk is one that remembers Jesus' command to follow him. Jesus said what? Take up your cross daily and follow me. That's, you know, what he's called us to do. So when we, why should we follow him? Because he's ordered our steps. You're really quiet out there. You know, Jesus has plotted the path of our lives the right trajectory, the right path to get us to the right place. I, I was watching a, a doe walk through the woods, as I often do sitting high up in a tree. And I watched a, a mother doe with two fawns walk through the woods and the, the, the fawns followed in mom's exact footsteps as she walked. Now, if you don't know, this deer have between their hooves what's called an interdigital gland. And every time mom put her foot down on the trail, she left a scent mark that the does could smell. And I watched them put their nose to the ground. Even though they still could see her 60 yards ahead, they followed every step that mama took. Imagine if we followed Jesus like that. Imagine if we looked for him and watched for him and put our feet in the places where he walked. Imagine how much drama and trouble and sin we would avoid. We need to be careful about how we walk. Out there in the natural, if they don't pay attention to mama, they could wind up lunch for a coyote. You say, well, that's serious. Well, no more serious than us falling into the schemes of the devil. Well, you just wait. Can I get a water gun up here? Just way too quiet. Say, ouch, your amen. Really, ouch? I thought it was good. It's going to get worse. So careful spiritual walking is not reckless, it's not impulsive, it's prayerful and self-controlled. Young people have a problem with this. When we're young, we're we're impulsive, we just want to do things. And sometimes that can be reckless, it's too aggressive, it's not prayerful enough, it's not self-controlled. They say one of the things that in in our youth we're supposed to learn is self-control. We have a generation that just doesn't submit to authority and doesn't recognize authority and wants to do whatever it wants to do. And if someone calls them on it, then that's a a problem. You're the problem. Wake up to the world we live in. There's people that break the law and do heinous crimes. And then when when the police come to arrest them, they're, they're offended. How dare you? Don't touch me. Are you kidding? You have three felony warrants and don't touch me? We live in crazy times, and even the church doesn't get it. But we need to wake up and be careful how we walk, be careful how we train our children. It's a dangerous world out there. And without Jesus, it's just going to get worse. So be careful how you walk. Don't be reckless. Don't be impulsive. Don't be a lawbreaker. Don't traffic in sin and expect not to reap the consequences of sin. Pay attention to that still, small voice in you. The Holy Spirit speaking. Do we have our ears on? Are we listening? Or are we just walking like this, spiritually? We're headed for the cliff. You'd like to see that, wouldn't you? So we need to be careful about how we walk. We need to be careful about the things we do. The second thing we need to be careful about is this. We need to be careful not to waste the time that God has given us. Did you wake up this morning alive and breathing? You've been given... uh, That was rhetorical. (laughs) I appreciate the enthusiasm. But (laughs) if you're here and you can fog up a mirror, you've been given the gift of another day. That's time. I know the day is young and we'll see how it pans out, but you're alive now. Time is a gift. That's why today is called the present. Each of us that are drawing breath are given the gift of time. Verse 16 says this, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Now, the more common translation that we know is redeeming the times before because the days are evil. Now, that word redeem means this. It's a better translation there. To compensate for the bad aspects of something. So to redeem the time means to compensate for the bad aspects of something, to regain or possess something. So because the time we live in is a dark time, we need to redeem that time because it's the only time that we've been given. If we don't redeem that time, it's going to be a problem for us. Now, you would say things like, how could Paul make such a blanket statement that you need to redeem the time because the days are evil? Because it's a universal truth listen, only Adam and Eve lived in perfect times and just for a short time. And then sin entered the equation and sin had a big uh, impact on everything. Everyone else after Adam and Eve lives in a situation where sin has affected everything around them. So there's hardships, there's challenges, there's injustices to face, whether it's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, the disciples, Jesus, all of them. And people say things like, oh, I wish I lived in biblical times. You wouldn't last five minutes with two sets of clothes, no phone, and no shower. Where's the body wash? Ain't been invented yet. I wish I lived in colonial times. You realize the, those people died at like 35, 37 was an elder statesman. Most of us would, I'd be gone. You have a picture of me somewhere. I'd rather live in the 20s, the roaring 20s. I'd rather live in the 50s. I'd rather live in the 60s with all the hippies. Give me a break. There's no perfect time. Few of the hippies wincing out there. Now is the time that you have. And we are in the right place at the right time. Because God ordained it that way. We weren't supposed to be born then or born here or born there. No, this is the time and we've got, this is the time we've been given and we've got to redeem the time. If we refuse to redeem the time we've been given, we will most certainly waste the time we've been given. Here are the top three places that people waste their time. Number one, people waste their days. I challenge you to sit down and calculate your age and figure out how many days you've been alive. Some of us might have some big, scary numbers. But what have we done with those days? How many of those days have we maximized for the kingdom of God? How many of those days have we maximized spiritually? How many of those days have we prayed without ceasing? How many of those days have we been about our father's business? It's quiet now. We waste time. We waste days. Think about the time we waste sitting in front of the TV. We watch Now now we watch reruns of stuff. Things that we've seen over and over again, movies we've seen over and over again. It seems like they don't make any new movies, any good music. It it seems like we're on repeat. It's wasted time. Wasted time on social media. Wasted time on video games and hobbies that produce nothing productive in an eternal sense. Huge blocks of time invested in things that don't matter. Calm preaching this morning. We have an, an entire generation that's just. Hanging out. Old people, what are you doing? Now we're just hanging out. Young people, we're just hanging. Netflix and chill has replaced baseball as the national pastime. What are you doing? Hanging out. Netflix and chill. Eating chicken wings. I'm for that. But we waste a lot of time. I think about the time I wasted. People waste opportunities. Spiritual opportunities for growth. Spiritual opportunities for evangelism. Spiritual opportunities for fellowship. That we could, you know have fellowship and grow and lead people to christ and get closer to jesus and we we, we do other things you know the, the bible talks about uh, the other things of the world that choke out our faith and we miss opportunities when the church is open we're we're doing other things and we miss out there's moments in time that god wants to meet with us because there are opportunities for us spiritually Thank God that I've invested my life and my Sundays and my Wednesdays in the house of God because it's made me the man I am today. Don't miss the spiritual opportunities for a boat ride or a picnic or a little fun in the sun. Be faithful to the kingdom of God. Now I got one and a half amens on that one. Okay. How about we waste time and we waste opportunities? How about financial opportunities? Career paths we could have taken. Opportunities we had to make investments, savings. Some of us coming to the end of our lives have no money for retirement. I'm not saying that we need to trust on our little pot of gold, but we miss opportunities financially that the Lord brings to us. We miss relational opportunities to spend time with our spouses. Look, our children are only young once. In the blink of an eye, they're grown. My youngest son turned 17 yesterday. I'm a geezer. I Got my glasses to prove it. Oh, there's people out there. Put these away. Miss opportunities to spend time with our spouses, developing intimacy. Miss time spending time with our family and our friends. I have both my parents here today. You know, they're not spring chickens. I got to enjoy the time that they're here. All right. My mom said I was planning to bump her off, she said. Be careful how you spend your time. Don't waste your days. Don't waste your opportunities. And number three, people waste their youth. You know, youth is a gift that's given to each of us. And that ship has passed for a lot of us. But think about what we could have done with our youth. That statement, if you haven't said it yet, you will say it. If I knew then what I know now. Right? Come on, listen, young people, listen to the old people groaning here. Don't waste your youth. Don't spend your time chasing sin and the, the distractions of the world and the emptiness. It won't fill you up. It won't satisfy you. It only delay the things of God in your life. If I only knew then what I knew now what we could have done with the boundless energy and enthusiasm of our youth. You know, do something for the kingdom of God before you get up and go as got up and went. Be careful not to waste your time. And number three, be careful not to miss the will of God for our lives. Look what the text says. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So what Paul is telling us here that not knowing the will of God for our lives puts us in the foolish category. It's foolish for us to not know what God has expected us to do with our lives. Why? Because we're living our lives and we're running out of time to do God's will. I can say even though life has not been easy, it is a blessing to know that you're in the center of God's will doing what you're supposed to do. So be careful not to miss the will of God. The text is telling us it's foolish not to know the will of God. Now let's talk about the will of God here just briefly, but I want to break the will of God down into two main components. The will of God breaks down into these two areas, the general will of God and the specific will of God. Each of us should absolutely know both, but the general will of God is really easy. People go, I don't know what the will of God is. Well, let's start with this. God has told us, the summary of the commandments is to love the Lord thy God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. So the general will of God is that his people be lovers. Any lovers out there? Amen? We need to love God. We need to love our neighbor. We need to love each other as the body of Christ. The, The love that we have for one another proves that we're children of God, that we're children of the light. The love we have for the body of Christ. Oh, I like God, but I can't stand people, so I don't go to church. You don't don't love God if you don't love his people. Oh, I love God, but I'm not down with Jesus. Listen, you can't even have a relationship with the Father unless you get down with Jesus. Jesus said, if you have me, you have the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. That's what the Word says. So the general will of God is for the people of God to love God. Hey, that sounds pretty logical, and to love each other. And and then what? After that, we should keep the commandments. We should be kind and humble and just, not because it saves us, because it's becoming for a child of God to walk in such a way. That's the general will of God. So that's the easy part. The, The more difficult part seems to be the specific will of God, that God has a specific will for every individual. And understand something, the truth is if we're walking with him and we love him and we're listening to the Holy Spirit, it's 90% that we are in the will of God for our lives right now. This is what you were supposed to do. This is what I'm supposed to do. I didn't miss it because God's bigger than my mistakes and my distractions and my stubbornness. Come on. And you didn't miss it either. Look, if he could get me behind here, he can handle the rest of it. So the specific will of God is the will of God for individuals. That sometimes takes prayer and it takes walking towards the Lord and it takes doing the general will of God long enough till the Holy Spirit reveals the call of God. And then we begin to do the things of God and produce fruit. But you and I need to know the general will of God and do it. And we need to know the specific will of God and do it. The reason that we have to be careful about understanding and doing the specific will of God for our lives is that multitudes of people come to the end of their lives after spending their youth and their zeal and their time and their energy and realize they never got around to doing God's will well, I've comforted myself and I've enriched myself and I've pleasured myself, but I never got around to doing the will of God. What a sad place to be on your deathbed at the end of your life, at the end of your days, lamenting the fact that you never got around to doing God's will. If you've been around evangelical Christianity for any amount of time, you've probably heard a preacher or another brother and sister say something to this effect. God has a unique purpose and plan for your life. How many have heard that? We say that to people who are outside the kingdom to let them know that even though life's a mess, God can take their mess and bless that thing and make it a masterpiece. Take it from a mess to a masterpiece. That's basically what we're saying. God has a unique purpose and plan for your life. Now, we heard this when we were lost, but many of us, once we got saved, we forgot about God's purpose and plan, and we lived our lives and just did our thing. The babies have been right on point. Next, the rocks will cry out if the babies are silent. Don't come to the end and not do the will of God. God has a unique purpose and plan for your life. The Holy Spirit is reminding us today, God has a unique purpose and plan for our lives. And it doesn't mean everybody has to be a, you know, go into be a preacher, go on the mission field. What we're doing, if we do it for the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, if he's called us to do it and he's gifted us to do it, it'll produce fruit and it's the will of God. Better to be a doorkeeper in the house of my God, amen? Why? Because there's an eternal reward attached to doing the will of God. Sometimes the will of God is just go to work, be a good worker, and let your light shine. Sometimes the Word of God is raised children that know the Word of God and fear the Lord and serve into the next generation. The Holy Spirit's reminding us God has a unique purpose and plan for our lives. You know what? And the purpose of God will often seem foolish to man. And oftentimes it even seems foolish to us or it's the exact opposite thing that we may want to do. But listen to me, while the purpose and plan of God may seem foolish to men and sometimes to us, it will be seen for its absolute brilliance for all eternity. For if we follow it and wind up in the arms of Jesus for all eternity, the brilliance of his plan for our life will be seen. I want to close with this story. In 1904, William Borden, heir of the Borden Dairy Estate, graduated from a Chicago high school as a millionaire. Now, you know Borden products, you know Borden dairy. But listen, this kid graduates high school, and it's 1904, and he's a millionaire. That's like being a billionaire now, even after taxes. his, His graduation present from his parents was a trip around the world. Traveling through Asia, the Middle East, and Europe, Borden got a burden for the hurting people of the world. Writing home, he said to his parents, I'm going to give my life to God and go on the mission field. When William made that decision, he wrote in the back of his Bible two words, no reserves. Though he had millions earmarked for him, he decided to rest in the hands of God and not lean on his money. Turning down high-paying jobs after graduating Yale University, he entered Uh, Two more words into his Bible, no retreats. So he put himself on the course to be a missionary, and he had no reserves in the natural and no retreat in his heart. Upon completing his studies at Princeton Seminary, well-educated man, Borden sailed for China to work with Muslims, stopping first in Egypt for some training. While in Egypt, he was stricken with cerebral meningitis and died in a month, never making it to the mission field. The world said, what a waste. Some of you might sit there and think, what a waste. He had everything the world had to offer and he gave his life for the kingdom and never got to actually go on the field. But listen, it was not a waste to God and it was not a waste to William Borden. In his Bible, underneath the words, no reserve and no retreats, he penned his last words, no regrets. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? To the world around us, William Borden's life seemed like foolishness. But for all eternity, the plan of God will be proven as pure brilliance as he entered into heaven and heard, well done, good and faithful servant. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? The answer is nothing. There is nothing that can be given. What good does it do us to gain all that the world has but to lose the most important thing we have? Eternity with Christ is worth our lives. He gave his life for us We should lay our lives down for the kingdom. Let's bow our heads this morning.